Well, do you ever begin to do something and then you get sidetracked? You know, you go into the kitchen for something or you go upstairs and you get to the top of the landing and you think, what have I come up here for? Anybody? Yeah, well, there we are. Well, I'm pleased I'm not alone in that. Well, you know, it seems to me in that Bible reading, which Pat read for us, that Paul got a bit distracted. It's as though he was about to say something at the beginning of the chapter, then he did a little detour, and then he comes back in to talk about this particular prayer concerning the love of God. And so it's reassuring to know that even people like St. Paul get diverted from time to time as well. But then we pick up from his diversion where he says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. In chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul had described the church as being joined together. He described the church as being like a holy temple built together into a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. As Christians, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That is what the Bible teaches us. And this is the basis for Paul's prayer. He's praying that God's power might enable these Christians to be what God intends them to be. A mature people, a people growing in their faith through his Spirit that dwells within So let us look briefly at this powerful prayer in Ephesians 3. And we'll look at it under three headings. And the first one is this. It's a prayer for power that Christ may dwell in your hearts. We read these words a moment ago. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. By this inner being, he's talking about the inner self, the core of a person's identity, the core of what it means to be a a person. He's reaching at the very heart of who we are and what we do. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, uh, he uses that expression again, and he says about the body, though outwardly we're wearing away, yet inwardly we're being renewed by his spirit. And I think we can all identify with that, can't we? Because so often, in our minds and in our hearts, we can uh, scale the uh, rooftops or whatever, yet physically, our bodies don't allow us to do it. We might, sort of as we're driving through Ulverston, see the Horde Monument, and we feel like racing up there on a glorious day like today, But our bodies say, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going to do that. Though outwardly we're wearing away, inwardly we're being renewed. You know, I was reminded of this 
um, in the example of a very, very close friend of ours called Pete, Pete Tollison. He was ordained with me uh, 14 years ago, and he was a curate in Ulberston, but then he went on to be a chaplain in the RAF. Now, even chaplains need to be fit, and he was a very fit person. However, a few years ago, he was diagnosed with uh, cancer, with liver cancer, and uh, it went on for two or three years until eventually he died four years ago. And I remember Julie and I going to see him in a hospice in Peterborough, because you know there's lots of RAF bases in Lincolnshire and that area, and so that's where Pete was. And I have to say, when we saw Pete, who was six foot uh, four and, you know, a strapping lad, but actually when we saw him, he was very, very thin and very jaundiced. And it was just about two weeks before he actually died. And, you know, it was a very humbling thing to be with Pete. Uh, because there we could see his body was physically wearing away. Yet what amazed us was that inner spirit, that inner strength, that inner peace that he had found in Christ. That despite what was happening to him outwardly, he was being renewed by the Spirit of God which was within. And that was Paul's first prayer for these Christians in Ephesians because he knew that things would happen to them physically, but also externally. But actually they would have the Spirit of God within them, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And dwelling, the word here, means that he would make his home in their hearts, and they would feel at home. Now during the half term, Julie and I went to the Peak District and uh, we were there with Julie's family because her mum and dad celebrate their diamond wedding anniversary in September. And so Julie and her brothers clubbed together to rent this farmhouse in the Peak District. Now, I'm sure you'll appreciate that when we went to this farmhouse, we were there for a week, we didn't go in and start decorating the living room. We didn't go in start redesigning the kitchen. We didn't go in and give the bathroom a makeover or anything like that because that actually wouldn't have been what you would have expected because it wasn't our home. We enjoyed it. It was somewhere where we stayed for a week, but it wasn't our home. Whereas when we moved into the rectory over two years ago, I remember Julie and me emptying boxes and uh, we were putting things in different places, in the living room and in the kitchen and in the dining room. We would put some stuff in one cupboard, then we would think about it and thought, no, we'll put it in another cupboard. Then, no, actually, it was better back over there. You know what it is in your houses, and whether it's a long time since you've moved or whether it's more recent, the reality is it was different because coming to the rectory... We were coming to what was going to be our home. It's a place where we want to feel comfortable. And that's true with your home and mine. 
if you've lived in your house for a long time, then it'll have been adapted, it'll have been decorated, and you'll have made different touches to it over the years, and that continues. Well, that's the difference, you see, between being somewhere which is your dwelling, where you reside, where you live, rather than being somewhere where you're merely passing through. And what Paul is talking about here is about Jesus dwelling, residing, living within the body of the believer. And that's what he's praying for here, that these Christians in Ephesus would know the power of God's Spirit from within them as Christ dwells within. Paul doesn't uh, say that Christ wants to be a temporary resident, a temporary lodger. He prays that Christ will settle down for keeps in the lives of these individuals. And the difference is enormous. Now this applies not only for individuals, but also for congregations, for us corporately as God's family here in South Barrow. What Paul was longing for was that Jesus should feel at home in the lives of the individual and in the lives of the fellowship of the early church. And that's what he longs for for us as the church here in South Barrow. So how we behave, how we speak to one another, how we speak of one another, how we care for one another, these will all be little sort of examples, if you like, or demonstrations of Christ living within us. That what comes from within is what is expressed outside. And we know that, again from scripture, whereas people look at the outside of a person, God looks at the heart. And so he is praying that Christ would dwell in their hearts. There's a picture there of uh, unpacking those boxes and Joe and Ed will be doing that of course in a week or so's time as they move into Middle Hill. But the second point is this. Paul prays for power for them to experience the love of Christ and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love which surpasses knowledge. Now it's not as though these Christians were unaware of Christ's love. They were, and their lives had been transformed as a result of it. But what he's saying in verse 17 is there's a difference between knowing something in one's head and receiving it in one's heart. And he wanted these believers to be rooted and established in the love of Christ, which would make a significant difference in their lives. 
When we were in the Peak District, and some of you may have visited uh, a place where we were near called Buxton. And in Buxton, Julie and I one day went to these caves called Pool's Cavern. And you're able to walk there underground, and they were quite special, quite spectacular. You didn't really imagine that they'd be there, just on the outskirts of Buxton. But uh, it was nothing compared to some friends of ours who, a few years ago, went to New Zealand. And while they were in New Zealand, they went into a cave. And as they went into this cave, they went into part of it, but then they uh, were uh, told just to stop for a moment to put a hand on the person's shoulder before them because then they were going to go further into the cave. And uh, they went into the cave. The thing is, it was in complete darkness. They couldn't even see their hands and feet in front of them. I know in this one in Buxton, they knocked the lights off and it was pitch black. You could not see anything. Well, this was the same in this big, uh, in this uh, cave in New Zealand. And they went in for quite a distance. And then all of a sudden, the guide told them to stop still. And gradually, one by one, lights became, came on. And they began to see this enormous cavernous cave, which was really like an incredible cathedral. They'd been unaware of it. They were just aware that they were a very small person, completely surrounded by darkness. And then when they opened their eyes, this the roof of this cave was a hundred feet above them. And the extent of it went out of sight. It was absolutely huge. It was enormous. And they didn't really appreciate it until the lights were switched on. And you know, often that is true with us in relation to God's love. We don't always understand or appreciate the extent of God's love until the lights, spiritually, have been switched on. And so Paul is really praying for these Christians that they would be rooted and established in God's love. Now, whereas our friends were standing on the rock on the basis of this cave, of this cavern, what Paul is saying is as Christians, as believers, you were standing on the sure foundation, which is Jesus Christ himself. And so being rooted in him, also be rooted in his love. Now, the reality is that none of us have begun to grasp the extent of God's love for us in Christ. None of us really appreciate just how vast that love is. Paul calls it a love that surpasses knowledge, and yet he prays that together with all the saints, these believers in Ephesus, these believers in Barrow, will grasp something of the extent of that God's love in Christ. Wide enough to encompass every race and tribe, long enough 
that it stretches back before the world began and into eternity, deep enough to reach even the most degraded sinner and high enough to take us to heaven. God loves his people. God loves you. And God wants us to know that love and to experience it in our day-to-day lives. I wonder, when did you last catch a glimpse of God's wonderful love? When were you praying that God's love would be shown to you? Now, how we pray that can determine the outcome of that prayer. Because unless we come to him in repentance and faith, admitting our sin and receiving his forgiveness when on the cross, then that love will remain a mystery to us. We need to come to him in repentance and faith, and then we will see the extent of God's love for us. Now, there's one final point within this prayer. He's praying that these Christians in Ephesus would grow from being spiritual infants to be mature in their faith in Christ, both in him and in his love, that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He's talking about Christian maturity, about growing in our faith. You know, I suppose when a baby is born, then understandably there is an expectation uh, for the baby to, to grow. Now sometimes the child might not always grow as quickly as one might expect. And yet it's an amazing thing how with medication and other insights that they're able to identify and to address those things because the expectation is that you and I don't stay as a few pounds of flesh but that we grow into maturity, into adults. And that's what Paul is praying for, for these Christians, that they might be physically grown up but he longed that they would be spiritually grown up and mature as well. And he prays for this special goal in mind, that that seed of faith would grow within them and that they would themselves mature in their love of Christ and in what they believe and how they behave. Now, as we finish, I guess it will become clear that these are big things that Paul is praying for for these believers. He's praying for the power to make their hearts suitable homes for Jesus, for the power to know the unsearchable riches of Christ's love, and for the power to grow up into the fullness of God. So let me ask two final questions as we close. First of all, is this all possible? Can God really pull this off? Well, the answer is in those final verses which uh, Pat read for us. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work where? Within us. God's power 
at work within us can do all this and more beside. At times, when we sense that our faith is stalling, here are some great prayers to pray. Look up Ephesians 3 when you go home and digest this prayer for yourself. Pray that Christ may dwell in your heart, that you would know by his Spirit that he dwells within you, that you might grasp some of his immeasurable love, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. And don't just pray that for yourselves, but pray that for those around about you, because God can do it. Even those friends or family members who might not show any interest at all in the things of God, pray for them that they too would know these things in their lives and God will do it. We are to pray in faith. Now we might ask ourselves the second question, does it really matter? How important is this prayer? Well, verse 21 provides the answer. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You know, when believers come to Christ and then grow up in Christ, it brings them to God. And when church families grow up and become mature in Christ, it brings glory to God. And in the next few weeks, when we look at Ephesians 4 to 6, we'll see, well, how does that glory show itself? How will we be able to see it or to define it or to um, appreciate it? Well, in the next few weeks, the second part of Paul's letter fills in those gaps and answers those questions. But for now, let this be our prayer for one another. And this is an awesome prayer when we think about it. As we pray for ourselves as individuals and so as we pray for one another and the whole of God's people here in Barrow. And so the words are printed there on the screen. So I'm going to invite you to join with me in reading from this prayer written to Christians in Ephesus 2,000 years ago but a prayer for us here in Barrow as we gather in St. George's this morning. And so we pray together. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever Amen.